Welcome. Bienvenue to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is a show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rentz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we're developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. Baseball is back. How do you feel? Mixed. I feel mixed. Because what is sort of amazing to me in watching a baseball game is that I already feel like it's the middle of the summer watching a baseball game. Like you turn it on and it's like, no one even bothered to show up to this game. Jeez. <laughs> yeah that's you know right. that feeling of the middle of the summer when it's like oh did this get rained out earlier and i'm just watching it later in the day is like the feeling that i have every single time i watch a baseball game well I've especially been- the red Sox ones where it's like there's this white noise that's going on and it just like i can feel it be like hot and humid there i I'm really like, felt that way about the about the twins playing at the white Sox. Like, no one's at this game. Like, oh, well, it's nothing new. It's not weird. Yeah, it's, <laughs> there you go. That's uh, that singular park. Yeah, that's right. We we have been to games with fewer people than there are in this stadium right now. For the <laughs> no, I know. It is it is true. It's it's really, it's it's so strange. It's, it's actually I, probably not that far off. I mean, how many people were at that game that we went to, like, it was a thousand. It was. I was gonna say. It, I mean, it was under ten thousand, but it was. It was not a big number. The so the the thing that actually bothers me the most is when a a fly ball is hit in the air and you see that there's no one in the outfield. It turns out that I actually needed fans in the outfield to to actually feel like there was some sort of baseball game. I don't care about the infield. Oh, this is funny. I'm sort of the opposite. Really. Um. I. When I see it, see the game, and there's, like, no one behind home plate, that's when I get that, like, was this game rained out question in the back of my head. And when when they're, like, there's no one in the outfield, I'm just like, eh, I guess there aren't that many people here today in, like, a very different way. But I guess your stadium, thinking about it, like, my stadium growing up, Fenway, it had a giant green wall right. in which there was no one sitting there. And then it had a center field in which people rarely were there. And then the outfield was even further out. And usually there were only a few people because it really was the infield. Right. Right. In Fenway, everyone's sitting in the infield. That's not that's not necessarily true in, in the, the Metrodome, cert- certainly. But I don't know. I just, I feel like, okay, this is batting practice. Whenever I watch a ball go up in the outfield, like, oh, batting practice. Like, nobody's out there. Yeah. But you grew up in a, in a stadium wherein the outfield was so huge. Oh, how much do you miss the baggie? Oh, the baggies. Just an just an incredible amount. I mean, watching a ball go into the folded up seats was just a classic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, I loved it. I remember watching a pitcher pitcher's duel, uh, Johan versus uh, Pedro, like way back in the day, and <laughs> just. I mean, it's like just like giant holes behind the plate. That's it. Yeah, the wind you tunnel. Nothing. <laughs> There's nothing. I know. No, so I know. So if you if you watch the old Metrodome oh, on TV, man. you don't see any people because they're all sitting up like <laughs> twenty feet. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing in there. It's like, and the oh, thing about the metronome, the, the astroturf was from that era when it looked so fake. When it was just like the astroturf was just unbelievably plastic. Oh yeah, yeah, and that that very special '80s '90s plastic. Oh yes, like that stuff. You could tell that was hard plastic. That would also shatter. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. So, so I guess I I don't know. It's it's a weird it's a weird feeling to watch to watch baseball because it is so middle of the summer, but it's so early season in that you don't. There's no real storylines. Oh no, there's absolutely nothing. There's absolutely nothing to go on. We before we got on here, we just talked about the Yule Simpson effect with the um, Dodgers Giants games. Like there's there's nothing to talk about right now. Nope. Nope. Well, since we'll talk about baseball in a minute, but I actually have I actually have something for you, which nice. This has been advertised to me repeatedly. This is the first time that I've seen this, so I'm excited. I'm out. <laughs> so, so this will be good. All right. So I've been advertised repeatedly this book, Serpentine, which is a novella that. <laughs> takes place in the His Dark Materials universe from Philip Pullman. And, but it's, I guess, so reading the blurb, it's not, it's not even that it takes place in the universe. I mean, it is Lyra. <laughs> I find these books, I mean, fantasy authors do this all the time. The, like, book that explains a, like, specific point that's referenced all the time. Yes. You know, I mean, it's such a fantasy. I have so many that I haven't read yet. Um, the only ones that I like reading are the Tolkien ones. I knew that. I mean, obviously. Even though, yeah. even though five, six of them were written by Tolkien himself. It's his son. Right. And so... Cobbling together notes. Right. Exactly. Um, so there's that. So I, I guess I'm sort of in the feeling where I, I'm glad you brought that up because when I see something like this, I've feel like this has been put together by someone else. Like I have a really hard time wrapping my head around like, oh yeah, this is this is actually by Philip Pullman. Yep. I'm like, oh this is by somebody else. Like somebody else is, is exploring the universe. Or someone yeah. It, the other thing that I'll I'll have is just like, oh shit, this is a money grab, isn't it? Well I Or or the you also have the George R. R. Martin of like the can you fucking read write the books you're supposed to write? I also feel that way too because it's just like, well, let's just finish the book of dust. <laughs> like let's just yeah. finish the trilogy Deep here. Like effort there. <laughs> um, yeah, Robert Jordan did the same thing. Uh, he, he you know he wrote sixteen yep. fucking books that were all a thousand pages long. Yep. He didn't write the last two and a half because he died yep. before he could finish them. But there is one of these books. There's one of these books that happens. It's a prequel that I could go read if I wanted to. I just, yeah. So all, that's all I'm saying is that, like, I, I have very mixed emotions about this. That said, 
I'm sure I'm going to read it. You know, yeah, so eventually. What, yeah. what am I going to do? What am I going to do about it? I need, I just need to finish exploring the world, I guess. But it's, but I don't. I mean, you have, I... you haven't read any extra George R. R. Martin, have you? You've just read the six, the five books. Haven't. No. Yeah, me either. Okay. I think I might. I might. One day. One day, I sell. Okay, sure. One day. Okay, I guess my question is: Is this like a day one thing for you? Uh, day one meaning, are you going to get this close to when it comes out? No. Okay. I'm not going to reserve it. Okay, I put this one on here because, uh, well, you'll hear why in a minute. How's the GGFBI okay. team doing? Oh boy. Oh boy, is there, is there good news from you? Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> we're two games into the season, so take everything with a grain of salt. Um, 200 overall. What are you, you number one? I'm number two overall. <laughs> you are number two, um, as they say. I, wow. I know. <laughs> like I looked at it this morning like, that cannot be right. What is going on here? That is wild. The overall standings. It's driven by. There he is. This is insane. I know. How long will this last? Uh, I mean, <laughs> not even the end of today. <laughs> I think. I think end of today. I would be happy to be in fiftieth. Um, Great. Who is the player that is driving this, or is it just? It's a team. Everybody? It's a team effort. Team Big effort. team. I mean, so the team is actually functioning as constructed, which is that it's just monster stolen bases. It's just a monster speed team. So I'm number one in runs and tied for the lead in stolen bases. So, you know. Wait, let me just... Someone poo-pooed Lance Lynn. I know, don't... I don't know if it was on the podcast or not. Don't start. Someone poo-pooed Lance Lynn. Don't start. What has he done? How many starts is he going to have? He doesn't have to do that much. He's already giving you six clean innings. I know, I was so... six, Six clean innings, nine Ks. I know. I was like, well, and a win. Obviously made wow. obviously made the wrong choice there, but okay. Liam Hendricks. I know. Just don't. Okay. Just don't. There you go. Jose Leclerc what, just... got my one save. Thank you, buddy. Jose Leclerc. Is this going to be his year? I think this is. Oh, if there man. ever was going to be a year where he weirdly managed to put it together, it would be this one. <laughs> you know, I okay. I know. Well. Jimenez. This oh, is going to be his year. This is a good, Joe, this is a good year Jimenez. for him, too. He, he is going to be... It's everything that we said before we stopped potting. All right. Theme of the week, probably, frankly, theme of the season is going to be is uh, is gathering information. I'm still, I'm still way on, in on this, in part because I keep being confused by things. Guys have already tested for positive for COVID nineteen after they played in a game, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like news just it's just all over the place. Like we we gotta it's be almost not good. That's almost really bad. Yeah, some might say that's really bad. So you know, these are like things that we're gonna we have to be on top of. So I have the I have a working I have a working Google News scraper in the sense that it will it'll pull down all of the the news that you that you ask it to. But the question is how, how we, once we have all the Google news results, now I was 
I was thinking, continuing to think about how to filter them. So when we built this before, what I had done was look for keywords in the Google News results. Um, because I was at the time, I was actually looking just for injuries. So I would search for mm-hmm. for any way that somebody could possibly refer to somebody being injured. Because the goal was to get an alert about them being injured before they hit the IL or before they or when there was a question that they might miss a couple games or something. So now the question is, what are we going to do with what are we going to do with the the information now? And we last week we talked about just needing to scrape just straight up on like with an eye specifically to COVID nineteen, and um, that is it's successful in the sense that using the scraper is how I found out that that one guy tested positive. <laughs> <laughs> but we're gonna figure out what else to do with it. I know. We, well, we were we batted this around for a long time the other day, and we didn't get much closer, did we? No, <laughs> it's not easy. Um, it's not an easy thing. By the way, the guy is is Reds infielder Matt Davidson. So if you have him, uh, oh Matt Davidson, yeah, really, yeah, he's the one who tested positive. Oh, that's good. That's great. After the season opener, uh, so. Well, and I mean, so did, and Juan Soto tested positive right before. Right, right before he he was going to play. Yep. But the thing is, see, this is this is it, right? Is that the only reason that I knew that Matt Davidson tested positive? Because there there is sort of a nefarious thing here, which is that I think the MLB just wants guys to hit the IL and then not make a big deal out of it. <laughs> they they want to have it just be like, yeah, uh, it's like a you know, torn Achilles. Yeah. <laughs> They would rather say that someone had a torn Achilles than tested positive for uh-huh. coronavirus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the only reason I knew that is because I ran the scraper and like, whoa, what is this result? So what does that mean? Do we need to just have like a, I want to say a matrix, just because I know that it's going to get your like juices flowing. You know I'm excited. Yeah. Um, of like team team and then like just like different covid scenarios like a player has tested positive multiple players have tested positive yeah right i mean the other thing is that i just don't think one thing that i actually was thinking is a useful thing is that there just doesn't appear to be a repository of who has tested positive (laughs) Maybe we have to figure out like what the R not is within a team. <laughs> Ooh, I, I think I mean I think that I think we I think a useful thing that we could do would actually be to maintain a master fantasy list of guys that have tested positive. Yeah, and have come okay, back. Well, yeah, I mean in part have, because do, do, because there is, is that not out there. What was that? I haven't seen one. In part because there is a I mean the assumption the the best working assumptions right now are that if you've tested positive and recovered, that you're, you're not, not getting it again. Well, that's, you know. And I'm, I'm saying best working assumption. So actually having a list of those guys means that those are guys that we would assume are going to be safe, <laughs> ironically. But how long do they have to stay out? So they have to test, so it's a variable number. They have to test, po- they have to test negative twice, 24 hours apart. That doesn't seem easy. 
I think, I mean, I think, I think people are mostly thinking it's going to be like the two weeks. I mean, Matt Davidson's going to miss a quarter of the season. <laughs> Basically, you have to assume that anyone who tests positive is going to miss a quarter of the season. <laughs> yeah. I told myself last time that I was going to do something useful for this week, which is that I need to see spin rate. I want to, I, I want us, that's a mission for this year is to add spin rate into our thinking. I don't know shit about spin rate. And specifically, we don't know what spin rate means for um, what we're talking about, what the numbers are. You know, we we know generally it's something in the thousands. We just want to correlate it with something. Um, <laughs> release spin rate is, yes, exactly. We want to correlate that, that spin rate with something. But we need to know what what we're talking about is spin rate two is it two thousand is it twenty thousand um so i went through and did this manually like a schmuck um and grab spin rates for four seam fastball just to just to just take a look at it four seam fastball and curveball just to see like what it is, put it into a histogram. Um, you want me to you want me to copy? It? Hey, I'm doing this work in Excel because spits it out. Um, do you want me to put these in here just yeah, so you can it. see them? I technically I have looked at spin rate before, so I know what numbers we're expecting. I, I, but yeah, I know, but also sure. I've not beautified these at all. I think my zeroth order question is like, can we correlate a a good day with spin rate, like a good day for an individual pitcher with their spin rate that they have on that day? Like, is spin rate is spin rate discretized for outings, or like, is there a do you see a larger variance from outing to outing, or do you see a large is the variance always within one outing, always encapsulating the full range? Oh, oh, so you're saying, right, does someone have a good day and then they're, does someone have a good day and they have a pretty tight band on that spin rate? Or is every game, do they have, do they see the spectrum, min, max, medium? Yeah, I actually, I think that we actually need to do this on a per game basis. Well, okay, if if you want to, discretize the problem that's cool this is mr <laughs> disaggregated data over here is telling me that we should just throw everything all in one pot and look at it well, i'm saying <laughs> like... that we need to take a look at it first <laughs> to sort of get a and these are the questions that arise all right all right okay so the bottom line is that curveballs have fast have higher spin rates than fastballs four seamers the median well it's also just like the distribution is very very different of, I guess, a people effective curveball, which is, I mean, somewhat one that's used in the major leagues, is something between 2100 and, I mean, like, yeah, 2200 and 3000. That's like the meat of the distribution. Yeah. 
Whereas for four seam fastball, it can be anything from more like 2000 to 2500. Yeah, I think the distribution actually for wow, the, that's very the four seamers is much more peaked. Very peaked. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess my, you know, my immediate question looking at this is like, okay, are better curveball pitchers, what, do they have a higher spin rate? <laughs> like, can we? Well, I think that we're supposed to, this is, this is where we have to yep. go from the question. We have this, the hypothesis is better, every pitch is better with higher spin rate. So null hypothesis is okay. All right. <laughs> not every pitch is better with higher spin rate. Um, yeah. So the distribution. What do we? Anything you want to? Anything else you want to say about this? So the two distributions have you have very peaked in fastball around twenty three hundred, about two hundred. RPM on either side of it. Um, much flatter curveball. So is this is this pitch? This is this must just be all pitches from the past two games. This is twenty nineteen. Oh, all, all of twenty. Oh, I'm seeing now the axis now. This is all of twenty nineteen. <laughs> I was like, what are these numbers? Yes. Oh, it's not. Okay. All of 2019. So you'd think that we're not, so we're, we shouldn't be getting hit by low number statistics. These should be. Hmm. I think one thing, no. it might be interesting to see a cloud of spin rate and like points for spin rate and velocity. Because okay. I, think, I think there's going to be a really strong covariance there. And I think that we need to control for that. I think you want. I think you want to use spin rate as ideally as orthogonal of a vector as possible to velocity. So the real release spin in this graph shows that it's probably so between eighty-five and a hundred miles per yeah. <laughs> per hour. You have between eighteen hundred and. 2700 because my takeaway from this is that there is a really weak dependence that the harder you throw there's more spin rate here it is on the curveball even oh, not, i would have expected even, a really a stronger dependence there I, I agree but i think what we're seeing one of the things that i think we're seeing here in that in that plateau on the curveball of you you having an effective curveball from 2000 to 3000 rpm is that there's such different types of curveballs. Yeah. Like if you think about Zach Grinke's lollipop. Yeah. Or if you think about Cole Hamill's like lollipop curveball that just confuses the heck out of people as slow as sin. That is very different from a lot of other players that have, the, you know, that have a curveball that sits somewhere above 80. Right. Right. Doesn't move nearly as so much. So maybe, I mean, maybe an interesting finding, maybe something that we're going to immediately find. Well, why don't you say, what are, what are you seeing here in this in this graph? That a blob. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, 
I think I think you're it right. It's a blob that goes that extends from seventy. I guess the peak of it is like seventy-five miles per hour to like eighty-five miles per Look, hour. Look, I mean, if you wanted to do a um, machine learning thing, you would. This is an immediate Gaussian mixture model. Like you, you by pitch type. Yeah, well, I mean, the hypothesis that we sort of just said was that that we're actually seeing multiple types of curveballs. So you can test. Oh, okay. Like, if you think that that's true, then you you put this into a Gaussian mixture model template and see, okay, can can I efficiently divide this into different groupings? Mm -hmm. And then once I once you do that, you can see what's effective or what where. where where the pitches are. Yeah, I think that would be. I think that would be kind of fun. I mean, this is this would be the the culmination of several years of prep work. <laughs> Educating ourselves. That too. Um, all right. Well, this is sort of fun. Fun stuff to actually look at graphs again. Yeah, we just need to we just need to make more plots. Always. Let's do it. Yeah, uh, I think that about brings us to the review session. Kenley Jansen. He did, in fact, test positive for COVID-19, so he has not appeared yet this year, although he is back in Dodgers. He, he is back for the Dodgers. He ostensibly could pitch for them. Yeah, we'll see if that has any lasting effects. Him having the well, testing positive for COVID-19, and I'm not going to go look into how serious it was or anything like that. So what did you think? I mean, where where do you stand on Kenley Jansen as a as one of the the best closers are you do you firmly agree with that statement yeah i think okay. that he's still a top 10 closer top 10 is know. huge i'm saying is he top okay. three no okay i don't think he's gonna end the year as a top three closer because i think what usually happens is you have one guy that's out of nowhere that's in the top sure. three Let's talk about, let's say top five. There's at least one guy that's out of nowhere. There's one guy that bounces back. There are two guys that before the season were considered to be top five closers who end up being top five closers. And then there's one wild card. And I just, I think that Kenley Jansen has been used so much that I think he needs another in, in under normal circumstances, I would have thought he would need another year away before he would be that bounce back candidate. Okay, a la um, Kimbrel was in twenty eighteen, where he's super effective. Yeah, twenty eighteen, where he's super effective after yeah. a lot of people had left him for dead. But then this year, who knows? He could be. He could just pitch. He could just pitch thirty innings and be a really effective pitcher. Well, I would I mean I would use him like that, but the Dodgers historically have no. not used him like that. No, they've never used I mean, him. I mean I think it would be smart to put him in just at, at any time, but they don't they you know, there doesn't seem to be any appetite to, for doing that. Well, they've got a really deep bullpen, yeah. so they haven't they haven't had to. And he's Bordering on Diva on the closer side. That was going to be my next question. I think he... Right, so he borders on Diva, and he actually... 
I like watching him because he does actually have a mound presence. He's a big guy. Yeah. He's a, yes. Yeah. He's a big he, he does have he does have a nicely I think he is intimidating to batters. Mm-hmm. Which is not something that immediately comes across. I mean, do, do you think anyone's actually intimidated by Craig Kimbrell on the mound? I mean, you might be intimidated by his pitches, but is anyone like really like worried? No, seeing <laughs> him, yeah. no. I mean, and all of his antics are kind of like are meant to do that in a way that I don't think that yes, just Kenley Jansen just stepping up there, it looks a little bit wilder, looks a little bit bigger, looks a little bit more forceful. And but He's not the thing about Kenley Jansen that I find interesting is that he's not actually that forceful in the context of how fast his pitches are coming through. No, exactly, and that's that's exactly what you're saying. Is like as soon as the first fastball comes at you from Craig Campbell and you realize, oh, I forgot this guy doesn't have full command of his fastball and he throws it at like almost 100 <laughs> miles per hour. Then you're then you're afraid. It's that Randy Johnson, yeah, right? <laughs> Early Randy Johnson, where you're like, oh boy, <laughs> I know about as well where the ball's going as he does. This is good. Um, and then he has that knuckle curve to just confuse, confuse you. Yeah. Um, Kenley Jansen is more intimidating in that he's got a lot more control of the of the ball. Yeah. Right. So yeah, interesting. I mean, he's a guy that you probably. I think coming into this year, maybe you paid the right value for. I think so. I wouldn't lean on. You can't lean on him. I wouldn't. Probably wouldn't trade for him right now. I, I mean, I'm already on the record. But if he has a couple yeah. bad, actually, maybe people are trading for him because the COVID thing has scared some people away. As long as the value is really, really depressed, I, maybe yeah, I would trade. For I him. still wouldn't trade for him. I mean, I wouldn't trade for. I wouldn't actually trade for any closer right now because I think things are so uncertain. But I guess if I was going right. to trade for someone, Kenley Jansen is higher on the list. <laughs> than others, to where we think that the value would yep. be. Let's review Archie Bradley next week. Okay. Time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Fantasy Tools, Mind the Z. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, mind the Z. All I've got left is, we're select to you, buddy. We're select to you, too.